I want to do in October and have a cool plan and I think it could work, but also the time required for it to be, like, good, ooh, I don't know. So I wanted to do one big one big image and have it be Breath of the Wild. Um, have it be like a vertical panorama where like it starts off just like bushes and trees and then, oh, there's a castle wall. Oh, there's a tower. Oh, there's a shrine. Oh, there's the... Oh, it's climbing again! You know, like it just goes up and up and you, you bring in all the characters from the game because, boys, I am hooked real bad. Um, yeah, it's a good game. My wife was playing that. My wife? <laughs> I just need to get a little soundboard. I just need to get a little soundboard. So every time you say, I don't even hear. I don't wife. even hear people say my wife anymore. I don't. I, I've never seen Borat, and I've. And I, I can only. I can only hear my wife yeah. in one of two ways. One is Borat, and the other way is uh, John Mulaney talking about when he started calling his girlfriend his wife to get her to get her into the uh, into like first class on the plane. He's like, can my wife join me on the plane? And they're like, why, yes, of course. As opposed to like, I'm sorry, can, can, can my girlfriend get on the plane with me? <laughs> and he has like this big power trip about calling her his wife now that he's upgraded from my girlfriend. <laughs> I just rewatched Kid Gorgeous. It was really funny. John Mulaney is my favorite comedian to hear talk about his wife. <laughs> yeah. He's my current favorite comedian, I think. Nice. Like, I, I I have very, very, very fond memories of listening to Eddie Izzard and Dimitri Martin a lot when I was in college. And there are very few comedians that I really want to go out of my way and just listen to certain routines over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mulaney is the one who's doing that for me right now. Which is interesting because, like, I feel like you guys get the credit for introducing me to John Mulaney because I had never really heard his stand-up before uh-huh. and you guys kept cracking jokes about him so it's like i think i better check him out yeah he's uh fantastic also have you have you seen john mulaney and the sack lunch bunch i have seen that i haven't seen it yet oh john you would love it you and your kids would love it it's it's weirdly uh, for kids like there's a kid talk like there, there's like a sec like they do interview segments and like they're asking the kids questions like, what are you afraid of? And like some kids are like spiders, you know, the dark. As one kid is like, I'm afraid of dying. And I was like, what? <laughs> but they're like genuine. They're like, they're not staged. They're like actual interviews. They, they decided to keep them all like intact because like John Mulaney was like real interested in like uh, kind of how like these really young kids can have really adult abstract thoughts. Um but like, he's like, we should we should let them express that instead of trying to like, quote unquote, correct it or fix it. And I was like, that is so cool, John Mulaney. Please give me another dance number with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> oh gosh, that part is I think inarguably really good. But like, <laughs> yes. I watched I watched uh, John Mulaney in the sack lunch bunch and was kind of torn on it, like. Brittany and I don't quite know what to make of it. There were parts that we really laughed at, and then there were parts that we just were like, what is this? But, you know, this was months ago. This was before the pandemic hit. And every now and again, while we're out walking, one of us will just start singing, Grandma's got a boyfriend, and her boyfriend's name is Paul. <laughs> yes. One of the uh, songs. My <laughs> favorite, my favorite. One, one of my favorite songs that I had uh, kind of learned a little bit for a bit was... Um, was that little kid who has that uh, that story about 
that lady he saw and he wanted to like ask her out, take her to dinner. Oh gosh, <laughs> that one was pretty great. Uh, that was beautiful. I love that one. Um, anyways, John, you should watch uh, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Welcome to the, the Sack Lunch Bunch registration podcast where we rank the sketches from John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Uh, At our number one spot is uh, <laughs> is Jake Gyllenhaal's dance number. <laughs> it is so good. Oh, I can't remember that bit where the girls are talking to that uh, that middle-aged comedian. That they there's that there's that oh, little bit oh, where it's, like it's, it's uh the one I hate like I really hate this guy except he he's done a couple of things just in the past couple of years that have made me like him kind Richard kind hey he was Bing Bong yeah Bing Bong <laughs> is one of the things that he did that is like oh maybe I need to like this guy but he annoys Dude. me and it's not it's no, not personal about him it's like that's the point I know he, he plays these he pl- and he does it so well like in Scrubs. Um, Oh man, I dislike his character in Scrubs. And that's the point. He's a remarkable guy, but he's so good at it. And and I I hear that like Spin City was great. I haven't gone back and like rewatched all of it. Um, but it's you know Bill Lawrence, I think, who created Scrubs, also created that because most of, if not all of, the cast of Spin City has like pop in roles on uh, Scrubs. Did I lose you guys on my Richard Kind IMDb rant there? <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> John, we didn't know you felt so passionately. About Richard Kind, of all people. He's bing bong! End of argument! I guess you say his career's been kind to him. Oh, hell. (laughs) (laughs) Superhuman Registration Podcast. We got some comics to talk about. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta get away from that. (laughs) It can't even be elegant anymore. We just have to go. So let's talk about comic books. Let's talk about... So, um... We read two stories for tonight. They are um, interesting combination. I'm not sure that we really have much through line between them, other than they are both the start of their respective story arcs. Uh, Although, I think you said you were going to go ahead and take the uh, Amazing Fantasy story that introduces Aranya. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, so Amazing Fantasy Volume 2, which came out in 2004, is a follow-up to Amazing Fantasy, the anthology series from the 60s, that introduced us to one Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. I didn't know his name was Juan Peter Parker. <laughs> Alright, thanks for joining us to the last ever episode of the Supreme <laughs> Registration Podcast. And Alexander wept for he had no more kingdoms to conquer. <laughs> We've peaked. We've peaked. This, Juan, that was it. Juan Pedro. <laughs> Juan Parker, Juan Pedro, Juan Benjamin. <laughs> oh man, did I ever tell you guys about like the one time I mispronounced uh, Geralt from The Witcher, and like I just have an OC who is a uh, Geraldo de Riviera. <laughs> he's, a, he's a Witcher. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so amazing fantasy volume two. We have to like power through to stay on subject. This is gonna be tough. Um, anyway, so essentially, this is a character named uh, Anya Anya Corazon, uh, who's like that name. Her last name just means heart for non-Spanish speakers. It um, sounds so much cooler, though. That's the coolest word, Corazon. Corazon, yeah. Especially if you like whisper it, you add a little like salsa to it. Corazon. 
I only ever hear it sung, like, Mi corazón! Or in Coco, um, that's the last song they sing, and it's beautiful. And I love mm. it. It's my... Oh, it's yeah, the, yeah. That's my alarm in the morning, by the way. Oh, nice. Uh, every time I see... Uh, every time I enter my password on a website, and it has that little remember me, I cry every time I click it. Aww. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Anya Corazon is, uh, she's, she's like a, was a 15, 16 year old high school, uh, girl, uh, mixed, mixed Hispanic, uh, heritage. She's like Puerto Rican and Mexican. Um, and, uh, and she's, uh, she's brash. She's tough. She's like the exact opposite of, uh, the Peter Parker that we know. Um, not, not the super smartest. But uh, a lot, a lot more tough, a lot more uh, athletic than he was pre superpowers. Uh, she has just moved to like this mm-hmm. new school. She's joining what is it, like field hockey, gymnastics, and I think they mentioned like another sport. I can't remember. Oh, uh, but she's those two. Yeah, but, but she's she's doing like all those uh, outdoor activities. Um, it really alienates me as a reader. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, might as well just go watch sports at this point. Yeah, might as well. Jeez. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she gets in a fight with like with a bully, and uh, and they re- they decide they're going to resolve this like later at night at a park, and they're going to beat each other up. Um, and Yaka gets in trouble with her dad for, you know, getting in trouble at school for this, and uh, he's a reporter. He's like an investigative reporter. You know, there's a lot of Peter Parker breadcrumbs in this story. Um. <laughs> So when he as so he goes out at night to follow up and help out one of his fellow reporters with with an investigation. She sneaks out to go meet up the bully and, and fight with him. But on her way there, he is going home. So she kind of wanders through the park for a little bit. While she's wandering through the park, there is a man who looks like a Matrix cosplayer fighting a bunch of other matrix cosplayers but they're using like magic or he or at least he's using magic he's like trying to send out a signal his name is miguel he's also hispanic uh he has very long black hair very flowy black hair and dark sunglasses that he wears at night so nobody nothing okay no he's cool so so he can so he can (laughs) thank you (laughs) something some i don't actually know that that's, the, you know what? That's that's more than I was expecting. So I appreciate You're it. Like that is enough. Yes. <laughs> so as he sends out this signal, he gets into a fight with with these opposing people, uh, who are the si- the Sisterhood of Wasps, and he belongs to the Brotherhood of the Spiders. And he fights. Yeah. He fights them, and Anya gets involved. In the middle of this, trying to like help him, just because she just sees a dude getting attacked by a bunch of dudes, she gets stabbed. He realizes that the signal or like whatever magic flare thing that he threw up into the air is kind of targeting or getting brighter because of her. He asks her if she's uh, has unfinished business or if she's willing to work with him, kind of in desperation in the moment of death. Which really, at that moment. I don't feel like you're you're qualified or you're in the proper state of mind to sign a, a binding life agreement, but whatever. And he heals her, gives her some pretty sweet ink on her arm, 
and throws her in a cocoon in her room. She wakes up the next day. She's fine. She has a pretty cool spider tattoo on her arm, which is a pretty big tattoo. And she's she makes an effort to cover it up. It's not a very good effort. It's no. a big tattoo. Anyway, so so she kind of continues with her with her school life, but she she's summoned by Miguel to join him as part of a hunter mage combo unit type thing for this organization called the Brotherhood of the Spiders. They are kind of like a like an under not underground, but they're like secret intelligence type thing that are they're fighting with the Sisterhood of the Wasps. They don't really explain a whole lot of why. And if they did, I missed it. But the point is, she kind of teams up with them. Yeah. Yeah. All we know is that they're fighting. Uh, A lot of this really plays into the mythology of like the spider totem stuff that was introduced at that like early 2000s Spider-Man stuff with like Ezekiel and whatnot. We find out Ezekiel was like a board member or the president or director or whatever of this web corp. Which, oh my goodness, really? Webcorp and the building has like a giant spider on the side of it. Real, real subtle. Real subtle. Yep. The, 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 the lost people will never find you. And aren't they in the same city as Spider-Man? Yes. Or wait, where are they? Where does this take place? I think they're in New York. I would assume they are, but then she they go is. out to the desert? No, they go to Mexico, I think. No, they're in Men. So, like, the big fight with the helicopter and the billion other guys, the bad guys, um, is Lower Manhattan. Yeah, there's, like, a part where it's, um, where they're meeting up and they're, they call it, they call it, like, Dumbo down under Manhattan Bridge something. Yeah. So, they're somewhere in New York. Yeah, that's gotta be, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I've heard of Dumbo. Yeah, yeah down, uh, yeah, yeah, down Phil, under Manhattan Fort Bridge Green, overpass. Milton Summers High School, Fort Greene, Brooklyn. So okay, it's Brooklyn. Mm. I don't know New York, so those are the same thing to me. Manhattan's <laughs> <laughs> an island, and Brooklyn is next to Queens. And yeah, okay, all those like I didn't actually want this explained, John. <laughs> I appreciate the explanation. <laughs> I would like to know where Kevin James' territory is as the King of Queens. Gosh, uh, it is <laughs> east of uh, east of Manhattan. <laughs> We are never going to get through this recap. I'm, I'm about to. I'm going to like summarize super fast. Anyways, like Stephen <laughs> mentioned, Miguel takes Anya, throws her into the desert. She has a vision of her mother. Uh, then she gets attacked by like 13 packs of wolves and she beats them up because out of her tattoo comes like a sick metal skeleton. Uh, so she passes her initiation. Uh, really, this is a hazing, but whatever. Uh, and then we find out that like their their first mission as like official partners, which Miguel is the mage and she's the hunter, and they always fight as a group. And Miguel alludes to something about Anya being like a source of power, but they don't expand on that. But they go and they fight the the sisterhood of wasps because they're about to summon their own initiate, which is what Anya was because they're trying to like level out the playing field, and they stop it. I think it's implied that maybe not. <laughs> so Anya decides she's she has a little montage where she's trying out costumes, but she just kind of dresses in like uh, like a t-shirt and goggles, real anime style here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the first book. Uh, the, the 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 not the first book, the first I guess arc. 
in Amazing Fantasy yeah. because the next issue after this is some other story. Uh, it ends with her uh, making some sort of grappling hooks, so it would be implied that she's going to be like web swinging around because she doesn't actually have that power. Uh, there's kind of like a lot in this book, but like it doesn't feel like a whole lot of it matters. Does that make sense? Anyways, uh, this was written out. by Fiona Avery and art by uh yeah, uh writing by Fiona Avery and art by Mark Brooks. Anyways, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> it, this was um. There's a lot interesting. to unpack here. Yeah, like. And I think the easiest way to start with this is just, like, the character of Aranya herself. Yeah, she picks her own... They give her the the option to pick her own name. And they don't... So she has some sort of affiliation with the spider. Because her father's nickname for her is Aranyita. And she complains about that. So he's like, okay, I'll just call you Aranya. And she's like, no, it's not any better. It's still a spider thing. Not, not better, Dad. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, and then when she's given the option to choose her own superhero code name, whatever, she picks Aranya, which yeah, you know, very spider themed. Yeah, so it's like the thing that really gets me about this is like compare Aranya to Peter Parker, right? Peter Parker gets bit by a spider, and like the spider's radioactive, and so now Peter Parker has spider powers, right? Um, compare Aranya to, like, any other iconic superhero. Uh, Superman. Superman comes to planet Earth, and he's an alien, and gets extraordinary powers because he's an alien. Uh, X-Men have extraordinary powers because they are born that way, and they're mutants. Aranya has extraordinary powers because she was part of a magic ritual that was performed by this mage who works for a corporation that is in fight with this other corporation that is also using magicians to give powers to people. Like, it's not clean. Even, like, by the standards of magic heroes. Like, Doctor Strange has powers because he studied with the Ancient One. It's like, brush your hands off, you're done. That's that's really all you need. This intro this is very complicated. Like, mm-hmm. It's almost. It's like, I don't. I don't want to use X Men as like an insult, but like just the intro story to to Anya is very like X Meny, where like you can't go more than a few words without having to be like, okay, well, let me explain this. The problem being <laughs> that you can't actually explain a whole lot because it's not like John kind of mentioned it's not very fleshed out yeah maybe it gets it it did get like little pieces of it but I feel like if you're gonna have a story like uh, there's a way to tell the story where it turns out this girl is the chosen one and big or secret organization is recruiting her to fight another bad organization I don't know there's a little bit of of like Buffy in there I don't know what the like organization was but like there is a little bit of Buffy in this. I, you know, good observation. Oh my gosh. You know, just a little bit, you know, with like there being a girl hunter and there being like, you know, an opposing side to, you know, like the people she's hunting are against what she's all about. And I just, it, it didn't feel like it covered all of its bases. And so you like things were happening, you're following it along, but you never kind of got like what, well, what's so what? So there's this fight, but, but so what? 
Yeah. You know, I feel like I was rooting for it because I was like, yes, some some representation, and you know, I'm always down for any spider adjacent comic, but I just kind of like, eh, like couldn't. There wasn't enough to like draw me into the character. You know, she mm-hmm. felt more like I don't know. I don't want to say she was just like a stereotype because it wasn't quite like that. It was more just like here's a girl named Anya, and and she's tough, and that's that's about it. Like she's. You know, she's determined, but, like, there there wasn't, like, a hook into, like... I, I think my my problem with this book is I feel like it just tries too hard. Specifically in the yeah. sense that it's trying to build, like, the super great lore. Like, it's trying to skip, like, years of story building that Spider-Man had, uh, for better or worse, that they've added and taken away to and changed up and all this stuff. And it feels like... This is just trying to, like, really keep up with that, like, straight from the beginning, right? Like, if you tell somebody about Spider-Man and you tell them about, you know, a specific point in Spider-Man history, you you know, most people won't really talk about the whole spider totem stuff. But, like, that's a thing there. And it's easy to build upon, like, his existing lore and build that up. This feels like it's just going straight to that. Like, it's not building on anything. And it's just going straight... To that specific point in uh, or that specific type of amount of lore. And I don't think it's done very well. This is a spinoff of the spider totem stuff, right? Yeah. And this is mainline universe too. Right. But there are references to Ezekiel. There Mm -hmm. are references to the whole spider totem thing. Like I think that that's at least the impression that I got that Miguel is basically the new Ezekiel. And this is all from that era of J. Michael Straczynski's Spider-Man run, which... Frankly, I haven't been super interested in, other than the fact that Peter Parker became a high school teacher, because that's kind of perfect for him. I thought that was Dan Slott. No, didn't Dan Slott make him the scientist? No, not during big time. I thought during big time is when he became a teacher. Oh, no, because he was a teacher right before Civil War. Oh, Dan Slott did have him working at New Horizons Lab as a scientist. Anyways. (laughs) Anyways, all of that's kind of tangential. Um, Kind of like Spider-Man, right? Because Spider-Man is... They're trying to link this book to Spider-Man. You've got pictures of Jessica Drew and Peter Parker throughout the the mm-hmm. book in different capacities. And that, you know, Aranya, she's got a costume that she designed that has the same color scheme as Peter Parker, more or less. But she has zero connection to Peter Parker. Really. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. part of it is it's kind of like, you know, kind of like we've been saying, they're trying really hard to embed this in, in kind of the spider mythos to the point where like, like she has already a, like a connection to the whole spider totem stuff. It just, it just feels like it would be as cheesy if Peter Parker is like real, like we found out his middle name was like Peter, Peter Eric, arachnid Parker or something like that. Right. And it's like, ah, oh, of course, like, like, I don't know, they're just kind of really shoehorning the spider imagery to, like, this whole thing. And it just kind of, it just feels like they're trying really, like, like they just didn't, weren't sure. And I feel like the best comparison for, like, this character is is Miles Morales. Because they're both trying to achieve the same thing. Except with Miles, it really kind of felt like, like they understood what they wanted from that character. And in here, it doesn't. Like, do you want to allude to Spider-Man or are you trying to, like, 
spin off of Spider-Man. Like you're connected to Spider-Man and the fact that like the book is amazing fantasy. Uh, this is all built off the spider totem mythos, but there's no real connection to Spider-Man. Like, it just feels so I think they, like head fake at it without doing the work of linking it. Yes, you know they're like, oh, have you started sticking to walls yet or leaping great distances? And like they like kind of mention some powers, and then she's in her own like web cocoon at one point. But then it's 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 they don't actually do the thing. And her her powers also aren't very like spider based. Like she gets metal armor that covers her arms and legs and her head and it doesn't look very spiderish not a bit no like her costume looks a little spidery but we don't get that till the like last issue it just feels disorganized yeah like i think that there's potential for this character to be interesting i just don't think we got it here and so maybe it's like the second writer who picks it up who makes it even better than you know like Stan and Jack created the X-Men, but it's the Chris Claremont, Chris Claremont, you know, raised it. Those early X-Men books are actually bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Don't know if you've so read I, them. They're bad. I, no, I'm afraid to, because I don't want to, like, <laughs> you know. Well, I guess we'll know what we're reading next time. <laughs> so I really did not like the art. Well, at the same time, I have to admit, like, some stuff was fine, and the artist is better than me so i have to that like that has to be said before i crap on it um anya's anya's a kid and she was not like nobody was drawn like the right age yeah um i i hate to say it but i kind of had that thought too this i just don't like the style and maybe it's of like the era but uh yeah i just didn't like it and part of it was the coloring and just kind of like Everything was, uh, I don't know if cartoony is the right word. It just all rubbed me the wrong way, where it was like, this is not great. Like, you know, the lay- the layouts and everything was okay. You know, like how they broke up the action. Like, I didn't mind that so much. Um, and, you know, technically there are some things where it's like, okay, that's a good pose. That's a good pose. But, like, everyone's face looks dumb. Everyone's hair looks like, you know, if you took anime and, like, uh, went a couple of passes on it until it got, yeah. I was I was about to hit on that. I I like the art style, but I think that's also because I was that's kind of when I really started getting into comics was around yeah, the I was early two thousands era. Yeah, yeah. But, and but this is also that same era where they were really starting to to kind of cash in on that anime art style everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like Teen Titans, uh, I think it was around this time. Uh, I think even Avatar was around this time. <laughs> So, so it absolutely like makes sense that this is, yeah, that this is what they're trying to, to kind of be like. Look, she's super anime, like, and, and it's just one of those things where like I don't know how I feel about it because like, again, this is kind of uh, oh, I forgot what the what other book I had where, this was the the complaint I had Oh, Big Hero Six, where it yeah. feels like they're not committing to the anime art style, like they're dancing in between, and it's kind yeah. of like. You've you've picked a weird uncanny valley of anime here. That's yeah, that's what it is. Cause like I look at it, and I'm like, okay, now technically, like this is well drawn. Like this guy, this background pose looks good, and like you know, yeah, like you know, clothing would look like that, or like that's a cool pose they put him in, and like that's not bad. But then there's something about it that just like rubs me the wrong way, where it's like this should be better. Cause her costume design, and I was just thinking about this as I'm staring at the covers. 
her costume feels like a like a My Hero Academia OC. That's somebody. Oh my gosh, it does. Oh my gosh, it does, doesn't it? Right, like her, like her, her gloves and her shoes feel very like Deku. (laughs) And that's not necessarily a. I wouldn't say that's a criticism, frankly. No, I actually kind of like that. But that's. Um, But also, like Naruto was coming out at this time, and Naruto's like first. (laughs) No, like, and this is. I promise, there's like a point to this. Naruto's big thing at the very, very beginning of his design was that he had big goggles. And that were too complicated to draw, so they switched them out for the ninja headbands. But <laughs> like those goggles made like a bit of an impact at that time, so I wouldn't be surprised if if the idea of giving her big spidery goggles was also them trying to be like, oh, this is anime, right? Big big dumb goggles that people wear. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely um, think that this is a deliberate corporate attempt to try to mimic something that is wildly popular without having the understanding of why said popular thing is popular. Uh And that's, again, like, I don't necessarily mean that as a, like, insult in any way. Because like John said, I think the layouts are pretty competent. I think the, uh, I actually do like Aranya's character design. Um, not necessarily when she's all armored up, because that's just kind of, like, busy. But the the vest and the goggles, I think it's a perfectly suitable costume. And I, again, I think uh, My Hero Aka cosplay fan costume OC character thing, like, I think, I don't think that's an insult at all. I actually think that's a really good way of summing it up. Yeah. But um, it's, like, a lot of the, the way that manga is laid out, good manga it's very, very busy, but it's because they're compressing a lot of information into a very small page. Manga pages are smaller than American comic book pages. And, um, I don't know. There is more attention paid to, I think, which details get highlighted. And as a result, the art tends to be a little bit more bare bones, which improves readability. There's something about a lot of these early 2000s comics, and I think Aranya, I don't have necessarily a a particular page that I would highlight as this is the culprit, Um, but I think Aranya does this a little bit. The the pages are so busy that I find them hard to follow and really kind of hard to care about. Um, I don't think they have the economy of detail that they really need. They they mimic, I think, some of the the layouts of manga, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it seems to me like they're, they're... Mimicking the layouts of manga without having the brevity that makes manga accessible. Interesting. And again, I the, like I don't know if that's really a fair reading or, frankly, even an accurate one. But it's kind of the impression that I was left with from reading the book. That's that's an interesting way to frame it, and I don't I'm not able to see the world through through uh, the lens of manga, the big oversized, huge pupiled uh, lens of manga. <laughs> Except I think I think you might be a little wrong, not entirely wrong in your analysis, Stephen. But if you look like a lot, actually, at this particular time of manga, like the big popular ones, which were Naruto, Bleach, and like One Piece, those were known for being notoriously busy, and they had a lot of personality. They did have a lot of personality, but like I don't know, I find One Piece more readable, and (laughs) like I read One Piece. one piece is Maybe good. They know they know what they're doing in that format, but when you attempt it without 
true understanding. It yeah. just comes across as busy, as as, as not action packed and intentionally like mm-hmm. you know full. Maybe that's yeah the difference. Maybe oh. we had a lot of like side characters in this story as well. So you've got you know Anya herself. We've got Miguel. We've got the the hacker dude whose name I'm Ted, forgetting. I think Ted. Ugh. I, I think. thought it was Ted. He sucks. He looks he looks like they saw the movie Hackers and they were like, this guy. Yes! They're like, computers, put him in there. <laughs> okay, what do you think? Is Ted's favorite band Sugar Ray or Linkin Park? Well, Linkin Park. I, I was like, trick question. It's actually Smash Mouth. Oh, <laughs> uh, John, you're the best. No, Ted. Ted is not cool enough for some forty-one. So, <laughs> what about Blink One Eighty Two? Oh gosh, that's that's like that's too universal. That's like not everybody's house is sticky, but I feel like <laughs> Blink One Eighty Two is like the honey, the honey on your hand that you get from grabbing the the knife, and you're like, ah, who friggin' made a sandwich before me? Dang it, it's Blink One Eighty Two. That's what Blink One Eighty Two is. <laughs> Oh, that's where you were going with that. Okay. <laughs> I got a little lost for a moment. You guys, when you have kids, everything is sticky. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, anyway. But yeah, so, and I think on top of the art, it doesn't help that the story is is real busy. And, and kind of to add to your point, Stephen, because you were talking about there's a lot of side characters. There's a lot of side characters, but I don't, none of them really get anything other than being a specific trope. Which I guess is in line with anime. Because <laughs> you have like the best friend. You have the bully. You have, uh, apart from Miguel and Anya, you have the hacker. You have the, the stern, but probably has a kind heart lady. Like assistant manager, whatever she is. Nina. Like you just, you just, everybody can be boiled down to like two words. The overprotective dad. Yep. Yeah. They're Which, tropes, uh, not characters. Which and, and and the thing is like nobody nobody's characters really get like they don't get used for anything other than shorthand, so you don't really get like a really, and you don't really get an opportunity to get interesting moments from from even like the dad, who's kind of set up yeah. to be really interesting, but there's just no payoff at least in this book. I'm like yeah. yeah, he's an investigative reporter. He's a single dad. He has a great mustache. Surely he's the one to <laughs> like, know more about. But then like. Yeah, but then what? What's what's our payoff? Is uh, he gets to have a, a very, uh, I don't know how else to phrase it. He gets to he has he has like a, what are your intentions with my daughter speech with Miguel? <laughs> totally yeah. does. Which like based on the fact alone, like hey, you're a you're a neo wannabe in your leather and your, you know spookiness and your stupid long hair like that that should be like that should be like hey nope whatever you're selling no not not here no 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 yeah but. even even okay just another callback to my hero academia even even <laughs> Aizawa had the audacity to dress up when he had to go meet the parents <laughs> dressed in a suit tied his hair back didn't wear his silly ninja scarf <laughs> Miguel couldn't even take off his jacket and put on like a normal suit jacket for like a half hour come on bro step your game up you know i don't i'm not a fan of the art but the so there's something in the character design that is effective 
you know, uh, Miguel's costuming tells you a lot about, like, okay, his role in, in this story. Um, Ted has a soul patch, so right there, you know, like, well, that guy sucks, and that's that's all you need to know. But he's not supposed to suck, right? Hey, man, soul patches were it's cool okay. in the early 2000s. He, they were. <laughs> we regret it now, but we forget that that is a thing. You can't rewrite history. I think he is Sugar Ray. I think he actually is Sugar Ray. The only thing missing was, like, the frosted tips. Yeah! That's the only thing missing from Ted's character design was frosted tips. Yeah. he He's like he's like the look of TRL five years after TRL stopped being a thing. That's what... <laughs> I was going to say a thing, and um, I'm not... I'm not I'm not 100% sure how this is going to land, but I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so, I feel like soul patches are like the Confederate monuments of facial hair. Oh, <laughs> Steven. Oh, now I have to go shave. <laughs> I'll do, although I thought you had like a whole... A whole thing going. Yeah, but every time somebody calls that little patch of hair a soul patch, I have to go shave it. It kind of, <laughs> it kind of connects to the rest of my beard. <laughs> if you surround it with the rest, it's isolated enough. People call it a soul patch, and when they do, I have to go shave it. <laughs> but yeah, it's no. like this oh, this man. regrettable bit of fashion history that's like we don't necessarily want to forget it, but maybe that's not the way to commemorate it. <laughs> but like you know when the time comes to do like turn of the century flashback parties the way that we do like 80s night or 90s night people are going to be wearing fake soul patches that is a thing that is going oh, to be happening no. and there's nothing you can do about it it's like big handlebar mustache or like big huge um sideburns for the 70s they're gonna have like a little tool bag soul patch sorry when you said like they're like confederates monuments i got this picture of this like guy's lower lip talking to him being like state rights but i just yeah couldn't make, anything, couldn't make anything more of it <laughs> I, I, we're all over the place i thought that the episode title was surely going to be one peter park <laughs> now, now it might be robert e soul patch i don't even know <laughs> That's awful. That's just the worst, man. I I, I don't want to say one, just another thing. I have a lot of, I I feel like at at some point I need to start complimenting the book because there are things I like about the book. It's like the skeleton. Uh, Yeah. I I also don't like the, I, I know we praise covers a lot and I know covers are never really meant to be indicative of what's inside because there's a lot of factors, right? You know, you have different artists sometimes they're meant to be teasers or anything. I feel very clickbaited by the covers of this book. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the yeah, books. No, I think that's a hundred percent fair. The books sell you yeah. on like this very like Spider-Man esque like story. Like the first two issues are her in her costume swinging through the city. And this is very like Spider-Man like poses. Issue number three is her like beating up a bunch of thugs. Issue number four is her and Miguel doing a very Batman and Robin-esque uh, pose. Like, the last two issues are very, like... Yeah. And, like, the last two issues are kind of her out. The, well, the last one's her out. Uh, five is her out in the desert, which is indicative of, I guess, what happens. But then five is kind of like that classic Spider-Man reflection in the, in the eyes. 
and like none of that really happens. They're good covers. I know. They are. They're, they're good covers. Like two, four, and five in particular. Um, and they're kind of like I don't know. Three's good. Yeah, three's it's, interesting. It's I like, like three. Yeah, three has a soul patch at the bottom right corner. Deliver on. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like they're they're leaning really hard into look at this great new character that we created, but they're spending the entire time telling the origin, and the character's not iconic. So I like contrast this with the covers for Ms. Marvel, where oh, yeah. like uh, like I remember those covers because again the the Ms. Marvel uh, relaunch is really good, but the early covers of Ms. Marvel. Uh, like, the, the first two especially, her costume isn't really, like, there. You've got, like, the icon in the first one, and the second one you've got the costume in silhouette. So, like, that's a story that's about her becoming Ms. Marvel, and I think the covers kind of inform that. Um, but she doesn't really take on... Like, in the covers, you don't see her wearing the full costume in full color... Until, like, she's making the decision that she's going to be the superhero. And it's, uh, you, you, like, in the story, she hasn't actually put on the costume yet. But, like, symbolically, or, like, her, like, she's, she's committed. She's the superhero. Anya never has that moment. Like, she never has the thing that's like, okay, I'm going to be a hero because of this. She's like, I'm just the person who doesn't ever back down from fights, even though I can't win fights. Yeah. Which could be compelling but i don't think it's it's managed quite the way it needed to be in this right right she does not have her what's up danger moment she does not have her what's oh, up danger moment I which is what i'm guys. forever going to better. refer to that as 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 is just and proper as all future academics will be doing <laughs> you laugh i am not joking no no it's <laughs> yeah. it's like a big dividing moment in like yeah. film pop culture i i watch i watched it today with my daughter she was like i want to watch miles morales and i was like <gasps> Be still my heart. <laughs> I, I also, gosh, I also do want to. I guess I want to compliment some things in this book because I, I didn't hate my time reading it as opposed to like how it might feel. <laughs> and I yeah. think, at least for me, some of the comedy really hit. It was very early two thousands as comedy, but I still, yep, I still liked it. I like that little bit where. uh where Anya decides to take charge because they need to rescue Miguel. And she's she's like, I'm his partner. So technically, and if he's out of commission, so technically doesn't that put me in charge? And they call Miguel in the middle of the shootout. And they're like, hey, Miguel, uh, if you're not available, <laughs> does that mean Anya's in charge? And he's like, "If the, does that mean you guys are going to help me get out of here? And they're like, yes. So like, then yes, she's in charge. <laughs> and he also has like a really kind of goofy yelling expression at that point, which... For a split moment, it took me out of the book, but it, it added to the comedy, so I didn't mind it. I did not hate the costume-changing sequence. Same, same. I should have, I think, because it was very, like, superhero... Like, I, I'm embarrassed, I'm self-conscious about being a superhero story, uh, the way that a lot of early 2000s comics kind of were. But for some reason, it landed well for me. I, I, I can't explain it. I, yeah, I, it's I like and it's that two-page it, spread, right? Yeah, it's that two-page spread, and she just like straight up puts on Wonder Woman's costume, Supergirl's yeah. outfit, also Supergirl's yeah. outfit, and she's doing the snarky commentary. Uh, yeah, Spider, Spider Girl, Spider Spider Woman, Spider Man, whatever. Yeah, direct. 
again, like a hundred percent, it's that self-deprecating, self-conscious superheroes are weird. We don't want to dress like a superhero. Well, it's because of it's like the X Men movie, right? Where right, in black yes, leather and they're moving away from. And then we get to the end of the MCU, and it's like, no, put them in the dang costumes. People like the costumes, yeah. as it yeah, turns out. Costumes, Our costumes are iconic. Give a reason to them. Yeah, so give them a reason if you really have to, but like, don't shy away from it. Otherwise, you just have people in black leather, and it's boring. Which I I, yep. I did like some of the commentary though, in a lot of those costumes. Uh, like like I did like yeah. I did like when she's in the in the Wonder Woman costume, and she's like, "You guys know I'm only 15. Yup. <laughs> yep. Again, like shouldn't have worked. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. I also I, like when she's in the <laughs> when she's in the Kill Bill costume. And Ted is in the background <laughs> as a crazy 88. And she's like, just kidding, Mr. Tarantino. <laughs> See, that's where it was like, all the rest of them I was okay with. And then that one, I was like, well, this is just obnoxious. I, I like that one. <laughs> but also, it made me feel old because I also just realized that Kill Bill is almost 20 years old. That's, that's, I'm still, Inception <laughs> is 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Inception. That's fine. It's not Kill Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, uh, everyone loves a good, like, costume change, like, uh, uh, like, you know, go into the changing room, come out, hey, hey, what do you think, what do you think? Like, everybody loves a good sequence like mm-hmm. that. It's, that's fun every time. I just, yeah. The, the Tarantino one is kind of like, <laughs> I do think it is, uh, well, I don't know that it is worth mentioning in this podcast, at least in relation to this story, but. It should be noted that in the future, and like, because she does stay part of the mainline canon, she doesn't get fully dropped, and she does become right. Spider Girl at some point, and she has a more classic costume. Like it's, it's all black. It's it kind of looks like uh like Spider Man's black costume. It's just all black and it has a like big white spider on the front. So she adopts that yeah, for it's a the while. Julia Carpenter costume, I believe. Right. That's is that the one with the hair coming out the back or no? Am I mixing I that up with another costume? I don't think so. I don't know. Well, I, I, it's like there's something here, but they didn't get it quite right this time. So I'm not willing to count Aranya out as like a character to read in the future. But um, yeah. this was, eh, this was like pieces of it were there, but it didn't, it didn't quite come together like I think it should have. So, But again, these guys have several comics to my zero, so... Yeah, I think yeah, I think there's a lot of potential here, and you know she does later become, I guess, a bigger part of of a lot of the spider mythos, spider verse, I guess. So yeah, she goes through some changes, and I guess eventually she like loses her powers, and there's like a whole arc where she, I don't know, kind of builds herself back up without any spider powers. So that's I, I would imagine that's interesting. But I guess that was also the basis to rebuild her into like a modern Spider Girl as opposed to this uh, experiment. Yeah, and actually give her something in common with the Spider Man canon, other than the the J. Michael Straczynski weirdness that he added to the lore. Yeah, which I still I don't know. If I wake up on a good day, I find it tolerable. I, I don't know. Maybe my problem with the Spider-Man, like the spider totem, J. Michael Straczynski stuff, is I absorbed that via like osmosis. I never actually read it. I I, yeah. I I don't know how I would feel about it once I actually read it. 
Yeah, it, it's it's entirely possible that it's one of those things that just sounds weird on paper, but winds up actually working, like, say, uh, the Winter Soldier storyline. Yeah. Uh, foreboding, foretelling, nit, nit, nit. Anyway, foreshadowing. Uh, foreshadowing. That's, I think, the word I was looking for. Who wants to talk about the Silver Surfer? I think John does. I do, I do. Oh, I didn't get to talk about the pet, the part where they pantsed Anya in gym class. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that was, I was like, uh. That was a choice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anyways, I said my part. Continue, John. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. So issue one of Dan Slott and Michael Allred's um, Silver Surfer run, the most important person in the universe. Um, spoiler alert, this was, I loved this. This was terrific. And let's talk about it. I only have cursory knowledge of the Silver Surfer. I know that, you know, he's the Herald of Galactus or was the Herald of Galactus and he's a fantastic four character, an ally, has, you know, fought with the heroes of Earth a lot and um, uh, spent some time on Earth and then uh, we pick up with him and, like, knowing that is plenty for this. So um, we pick up um, on Earth 12 years before the story starts and two twin girls make a wish on a star and one wishes to travel and one wishes that um, the uh, star could keep going and everyone would get a wish and they could stay up in the sky forever. Turns out the star was actually the Silver Surfer and we meet up with him in the, in the present um, powering a, a sun and bringing life back to a planet. And then they, they start to idolize him and he goes, oh no, and he's, he's just like, I didn't want that. And he takes off and then he's, he's greeted by some little robots who ask him to come to, um, a, uh, Oh, the Impericon. Yeah. Impericon. Yeah. So he shows up to the Impericon and he's like, well, how, how has this existed? Cause you guys, I've never heard of it. And like, that's the point we're, we're trying to, you know, shield it from you. And it's this massive, like. Like a fun, colorful version of a city of a thousand planets with, uh, you, you know, the Valerian comics, and I oh, that movie was terrible. <laughs> yeah, just just the comics, <laughs> just the comics. Potentially who, it was cool. Yeah, just who would comics. attempt to make that book comic to a movie? Yeah, why would you? So he is asked to um, protect the Empiricon. He is asked uh, um, fight off the uh, Never Queen. And sorry, I'm like, it's layered in like how you find out different details about the story. I'm trying not to like step on any part of it. Um, he's he's examined by the the motivator, the uh, the the guy who summons him to the Empiricon is the incredulous Zed. <laughs> Such a great character name. Th- three eyes and two mouths, and he's kind of spooky looking, but he's friendly enough and he's excited enough. And the you know Empiricon seems like it's a cool place. And to motivate the champion of the Empiricon, the one who's supposed to take out the Nether Queen, um, uh, the, one of their loved ones is summoned to this, um, like, we've seen this before. This is like a, like, it's almost like an Arkham Asylum of, like, weird aliens. It's like uh, there's a Rick and Morty where a big alien has collected life from all over the place and everyone has their own little cell. And um, we get um, one of the girls all grown up um, the, uh, sorry guys, I'm like, I don't know if it's like late in the day or what, I'm just, my brain is just like, nah, you read this and you liked it, but I'm not going to give you any details. <laughs> <clears throat> Start again. So, <laughs> this, uh, girl from the beginning of the, uh, the beginning of the comic, who is now, um, running the bed and breakfast in, uh, Massachusetts, um, is summoned and, um, is put into this, uh, holding cell 
as motivation for the Silver Surfer that he has to accomplish his mission and not deviate from it or else he's going to you know lose this loved one and the last line of the first comic he says well the Silver Surfer says I have no idea who that is and so we know that this is definitely someone important to him but at this point in his existence the Silver Surfer has no connection to Don Greenwood this um, co-manager of the Greenwood Inn in Massachusetts in Anchor Bay Massachusetts so um, what happens, the Silver Surfer goes to fight the Never Queen, finds out that she represents all possibilities and all futures uh, for everything, and that her heart has been cut out. And that's what is powering the Empiricon and keeping it hidden from heralds, keeping it hidden from Silver Surfer in the past. And the Incredulous Zed is being motivated by a mysterious figure that we don't ever see who they really are, correct? Not in this story. Okay. Um, the Never Queen is the um, lover of, is it infinity? Eternity. Eternity, excuse Remember me. Remember, we searched Eternity. for him. Wait, what? Ah, yes. <laughs> In what book? <laughs> what story? What was the name uh, of that story, Doctor Stephen? Strange, the search for... Oh, sorry, Stephen. Oh, no, you got it. You don't need me. The search for eternity. Well, the Silver Surfer Yay. gets a glimpse of him. Um, <laughs> surfer... I like in stories where it's like the guy is hired to do this, finds out he's on the wrong side, and then turns around. Well, he comes back to, like, save the day, and good old Don Greenwood has figured out a way to get out of her cell and bust everybody else out, too. And they come to realize that they were all there as motivation for different champions, and all the other champions have died. And it's really sad. And Don Greenwood takes it in stride really well that, like, her fellow inmates are, like, straight up bonkers looking aliens like they would be too weird for the cantina in star wars that's how weird this is um i love it it's colorful and fun um we see glimpses of as the silver surfer is um fighting eternity we do see um a relationship hinted at between him and dawn she's in you know this this cool ladybug shirt where it's you know she's very recognizable um, Silver Surfer returns to the um, to the Empiricon, hands off the heart to Dawn, and they're able to um, escape. Sorry, it's so weird that it's a it's this it's a abstract concept, the heart of it of the Never Queen. And so when Dawn takes it for safekeeping, um, it's a monkey toy with symbols selected randomly from her from her brain so she has this monkey toy that she has to um you know keep safe in order to you know protect the all of creation and everything so that's fun um (laughs) at this point incredulous ned is uh taking matters into his own hand um the silver surfer is able to to uh pull some (laughs) some three stooges moves on him (laughs) literally which I, I'm like, part of me was like, that's so dumb. And I was like, no, no, wait. You love you love Three Stooges. Don't be complaining about peanut butter in your chocolate here. So um, <laughs> he's able to turn on Incredulous Ned, get this, this um, all-powerful sword away from him, and then um, Ned shows up in this um, a place beyond reality, this banished place, and this figure that's been, um, you know, consulting him and, and um, you know, helping him out um, offers him a chance to, to keep existing if, he's, if he serves him. Um, so the Never Queen, everything was restored as it should be. Um, the Surfer tries to go back to Earth, and the Guardians of the Galaxy show up to scan him and make sure that he's not, you know, heralding it for Galactus again. Um, they include the, uh, 
uh, Captain Marvel and Venom at this point, in addition to the you know famous movie lineup. Um, they get back to Earth, and something happens where, oh, the surfer can't go back again. He's stuck, and uh, all of Earth is trapped in a dream. And the surfer, like, he's done his time on Earth, he gets Earth, and he does not want to spend any more time there than he has to. Um, he's not down with Earth, which is a shame, but, you know, understandable given his history. Um, so he enlists the help of, uh, well, Doctor Strange and the Hulk really show up to figure out what's wrong with him. And uh, Doctor Strange loans Don the uh, Eye of Agamotto to try and um, stop this guy named Nightmare who um, through a accidental timing of a lunar eclipse uh, put the entire world to sleep and anyone still awake is fighting nightmares and it comes down to Silver Surfer and Dawn figuring him out and then um, Surfer wants to leave and Dawn wants to you know take a chance at adventure and they go off together very Doctor Who-esque and uh, now's the part why I've been talking too much in the summary and probably botched a few things but uh, I'll, you guys talk for a bit and I'll just say that I loved it and uh, um, the character's name is the incredulous Zed not the incredulous Ned did I say Ned you said Ned a couple of times <laughs> yeah Zed is very sp- it's more spacey isn't it yeah. I mean a Z is just an N sideways uh, uh, that's Famously what they say in Hooked on Phonics. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for revealing where I learned, Stephen. Thank you. Hey, hey, there's no shame in having to sound it out, man. I mean, there is when you're 30. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, this is very much, I think, Marvel Comics doing uh, new era Doctor Who, right? Yeah. It Like, it really is uh, down to... The, like, you've got the mystical alien who has knowledge beyond what humans have, who takes on a human companion for fun? Yeah, no real, like, need for a human companion, but why not? Yeah. It's a chance for the audience to have someone to relate to and to ground the sensational story. Yeah, this is, yeah. Like, I I just thought, like, oh, he's gonna, she's gonna go off on adventures with him. How very Doctor Who, but it's even more... There are even more parallels there. There's a synopsis for like the penultimate issue of like the next volume that is very Doctor Who-esque. And it says, this is a story of a love that ended before it started and began after it ended. But is it a love that can outlast the universe? And I was like, that's very Doctor Who-esque. Oh, yeah. so totally Doctor Who. The whole thing. And I had, uh, I like this and I'm gonna, a little bit of confession time, which I'm sure I've said this before, but I will say it again. I do not like Doctor Who. And I enjoyed this book quite a bit. Yeah, Doctor Who, it's... I think you got to be in the right mindset for it. And there are many episodes that I like a lot. But it's not something... Like, I would need someone to go through and be like, this one's good, this one's crap, this one's good, this mm-hmm. one's crap. You know? Because um, I've sat through and watched several in a row where I'm like, wow, this is all over the place. So I can't call myself like a true Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Doctor Who has a tendency to be fairly self-indulgent. Um, and I think... The Silver Surfer story kind of gets around that by really uh, leaning into not just the relationship between the Surfer and Dawn, but into Dawn's character. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think it actually takes both of those elements. So in Doctor Who, it's a pretty common through line that the Doctor needs the companions around because he's seen so much that... uh, the only way that he really gets any enjoyment out of his star 
exploration is by sharing it with other people. And for him, that's a characteristic. For the surfer, that's a character arc. And Dawn, meanwhile, is someone who has always been comfortable and satisfied being at home. Like, her greatest dream is to never leave, and her nightmares are all about her leaving. See, the the Empiricon arc and the uh, Nightmare arc, they kind of are two separate story arcs, unless you look at them as Dawn's story. Because Dawn has to go through all of that to reach the point where she realizes that there is more to life than her little bed and breakfast, and she needs to get out and see some of that. And so I think it's the two character arcs in tandem that make this story work in a way that Doctor Who sometimes falls flat. Because the Doctor is perfect. Like, he is a flawless protagonist who seldom if ever makes a mistake and everybody is in awe and fear of him. The surfer is not perfect in this story. He's often used as a, as a perfect character, famously in, you know, that one Silver Surfer story that we read that we really, really liked, Parable. Parable. Uh, he's basically a Christ figure. Um, but here, he is cynical, he is over it, he is too cool for school, and Don is here to show him that that's not the case. I, yeah, and I, and I think that really comes across in... Spe- and like two things. One that she's very self reliant. Like she is the person that leads the prisoners uh, out of their escape. But two is also that she just kind of doesn't care about superheroes. Yeah. And and I love that <laughs> they they explain that that like some people aren't into sports, some people aren't into politics. We're not interested in superheroes. And it's like yeah, yeah, and, big deal. They come and save the day, whatever. Yeah, like some bad guy shows up, they show up, they save the day, and, you know, everything resets. And, like, they call that out, too, and I, I kind of loved it. Yeah, no, that's pretty great. It is funny, I think, because, like, you know, the difference between uh, not being into sports and not being aware of these world-shattering events that literally, like, could snuff out existence as you know it. Well, actually, once you bring politics into it, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense. Some people are just like, I'm just not into politics. I don't care how many people he hurts as long as, you know, my lifestyle is unaffected. I don't see any reason to... Mm. Wow. Yeah. Way, 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 to, way to make a book about a flying tin man really down to earth, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, isn't that the point of this book is to make the amazing cosmic tin man really grounded? <laughs> there you go. I did it. I brought it back. We I, did it. We cracked it. We cracked I, the code. <laughs> we didn't need Lord for it. My friends and I cracked the code. <laughs> I like how they talk about his like power galactic. Just he's like, yeah, power galactic. It just it just works. It's just a thing. Like it's it was really funny the way they were just like. Oh yeah, and she's like, like, that's yeah, convenient. Don't, don't, who cares? Yes, and he's is. like, yeah, power galactic. Yeah. Yeah, the power cosmic is like a like power a, cosmic. Power cosmic. Yeah, it, it's. It's just whatever it needs to be, right? Yeah. I love it. Which I'm fine with. Like, I, I It bothers me when it's Superman, but for some reason, because it's Silver Surfer, it's like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, it doesn't bother me because they acknowledge it, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that. The same way with, same way with uh, Doctor Strange's magic. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the Force, where, like, we're kind of given, you know, supposedly we're given, like, rules about it, but really... The force is whatever you want it to be, but like they keep treating it like it's a special thing. But it's like, 
No, it's just a deus ex machina. Binds us and penetrates us to the story. Mm. Anyways. Mm. <laughs> I, I, should, I meant to acknowledge in a different way. We don't need a scientific explanation of, like, you know, how it works on the cellular level. We just, it surrounds us, binds us. Mm. <laughs> Power. What? Power cosmic. I, I, ah. <laughs> Surfboard it is. Mm. Oh, I love that she calls it to me. Hey, she gives the yeah. name. Oh. Calls it to me. Cause he called because he said to me, my board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to me. To be your board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good gag. <laughs> it's ridiculous and I love it. Apart from her like self-reliance and like being being like, you know, someone who's got it together or whatever like that that to me like calling it to me and being like hey my magic mirror like that was rat yeah (laughs) i i think my only criticism of this book is that for somebody who doesn't care and isn't really like in the know-how about heroes she adapts really easy and i kind of wish there would have been like just like a little it doesn't have to be a whole arc like just a couple pages of her kind of coming to grant coming to like understand that the situation that she's in but like right from the get-go she's like oh space prison with a bunch of other aliens okay with her being a homebody it doesn't quite it's kind of incongruous it's like okay so she's she's you know lived at the cape this whole time and then all of a sudden she's in space and she's like cool all right i'm gonna lead a rebellion let's do it guys hey we're all friends now yeah that granted that's kind of a nitpick uh considering that this book i think is really Doing a good job in, in most everything. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, art we haven't talked about yet. It's really clean, kind of kind of like kind of feels like pop art. Yeah, absolutely, like Michael Allred. Pop and, art. Yeah, yeah, this is this is Michael Allred. This is who he is and what he does. And uh, real fun coloring too. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that adds a lot. Um, uh, I don't know. They're just like the 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 surfer feels really like like he's always classic like John Buscema kind of style like if you if you flipped open how to draw comics the marvel way by stanley and john buscema it's like like a lot of these poses you see with uh uh dawn and uh, uh silver surfer it's like yep there it is there yeah this is straight up like this is you know classic marvel style done well i enjoyed that as well because it's it's hard like you know i love the runaways i love the runaways the first several like i don't know we read 12 issues uh the art's not great um and like the artist does better work later on it's just not great and so it bothers me and they had like tried a new format with it you know with like like you know these smaller like manga inspired style books and everything and that and then later it's it's you know it's better with uh, umberto ramos is the artist um and uh i uh, that's kind of who i see as like okay that's what my runaways are um but the story is great this one you know we get uh, this unique art style, like putting all of those things together, like yes, it's classic Marvel, but then you have these like fun colors and it's like pop arty, and so like you know, that... really great like monster designs, especially in the yeah, Mister Plorp, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and his freaking acid reflux, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like who knows how long they'd all been in there, and she puts it together like wait, you could like burp our way out, let's do it. There's yeah. there's also oh, something I. Go ahead. Well, you sound like you were going to make a real point, and I'm just going to say my only nitpick with Dawn is that she's vegan, so you better talk. I don't think she's actually vegan. I think she's just not real happy about being fed while she's being imprisoned. 
They brought her a milkshake. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Steve. I don't know, John. <laughs> oh, a good milkshake can change your whole day. <laughs> One of the things I was going to say is, I think on top of, you know, really, really fantastic art from kind of, I think a classic figure in comics, like a modern classic artist, uh, you know, I think the writing here is really top notch, and Dan Slott is one of my favorite, one of my favorite writers, and you know maybe I'm a little biased because he's also the person who like got me to really fall back in love with Spider Man. So there's clearly a bias there, but I really do like his writing here. It's really quick, snappy. It, it doesn't really. He trims the fat in a way that doesn't feel rushed. Yeah, there's not nothing's unnecessary. Yeah, and, and when it is, it's funny. I, I, I think so, right? Because I think one of my favorite parts in this book, or, or one of my favorite jokes in this book, is when Doctor Strange gives Dawn the eye of Agamotto. And she, <laughs> first of all, she's real cool with it real fast, but her initial reaction to that is like, okay, this is really gross. <laughs> and that's like, okay, that's the perfect image for Mike Allred to be drawing too. A pretty yeah. girl with a gross eye in the middle of her forehead. That is a Mike Allred image, if anything is. Yes. So so I think, I don't know, this is like one of those books where you can really tell that it's two people who are kind of writing what they want to write and draw. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how collaborative they are. I would assume they're pretty collaborative in, in, the, in the writing process. Because this book just feels like solid, right? Like I don't I don't know that there's like a whole lot to like nitpick really. I mean I think if if anything, if the nitpicks in here are probably just personal preferences, I, I would think. Yeah, I think yeah. to to a large extent that's true. Um I think like I, I, Dan Slot as a storyteller, um you can kind of tell uh, that he has an a a plan in mind for where he wants this story to go because he is seeding details very early on that seem like they're going to be things that pop up again later um like you've got that image that the surfer has or that vision that the surfer has when he's uh with the never queen and they're showing off like possible futures with don greenwood You've got the um, really tight storytelling with Dawn's uh, arc between, like, her not wanting to leave home and the plot kind of compelling her to do it. There are uh, scenes and images that they reference that are here that they're going to harken back to later on in the run. I've not finished this run, but I've read a lot of it, so I know that a lot of these uh, plot points come back. Um, And it really helps like just that tightness the details that are there are there to serve a story function even the jokes like when the silver surfer introduces himself to don's dad by freezing in place and saying oil can yeah like there's a point to that the silver surfer has experienced earth's pop culture he's over it but the like a lot of the purpose of uh, his interactions with don are to, uh, you know, help him to kind of reappreciate human life and culture and art and all of that. So, again, there, there is purpose to everything that's in here, um, except for the line about the Hulk peeing from a mile away. That's just funny. Oh my gosh, I laugh so hard. 
because that kid that kid kept asking oh, oh man. My gosh that that was so dang funny yeah no this is a top-notch story I think um it's tight it's fun it's it I think it is like inching towards meaning I don't think it's really there yet like this isn't super meaningful other than you know kind of the helping helping dawn to realize that really what she does want is adventure in the great white somewhere she wants it more than she can tell <laughs> that's don't nice try, and hey, all don't but try, hey don't try to throw a disney princess reference i have a four-year-old daughter holy crap we are up to our eyeballs in it i can like every i want song we can talk about like when will my life begin and i want so much more than they've got planned and yeah yeah it's there's there's one in every one there's one in every every movie <sighs> <laughs> kind of ran out not of in 2020 there. Mulan that's true <laughs> just give it a couple months you'll be fine I don't know I feel like we talked a lot about uh, Aranya and I, I, I thought there would be more to say about Silver Surfer but I don't know it, Like I kind of ran out of steam after it's good it's pretty I really like Mike Allred and Dan Slott I think are just a winning pair but oh, yeah. other than it's like Doctor Who but fun and somehow less self-indulgent. It's like Doctor Who, but good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of the Silver Surfer, and I think one of my only regrets is that I haven't read more of him, because every time I read a Silver Surfer story, I kind of love it. Yeah, same. I'm sure there are clunkers. Yeah. Uh, but geez, like, even when... like. Silver Surfer is a major player in Infinity Gauntlet, which I kind of love. Um, so I've got nostalgia there. Take that for what it's worth. Um, Silver Surfer is a super bit player in Planet Hulk. But when he shows up, I'm like, oh, crap. It's the Silver Surfer. I love it. Uh, yeah, no, he's a great, I think, possibly one of the more underrated Marvel Comics characters. And yeah, I look forward to reading more of him. I've actually had in mind like this idea that since I've got Marvel Unlimited, why don't I just pick a character and go back through the catalog and try to read every story about a certain character and the one that I keep gravitating to. Like, if I were to do this, it would be Silver Surfer. Yeah, after reading this, I was like, and like I've said it a couple of times, but I am following up on reading more X-Men with the new kind of reset they did with Powers of X and House of X, but this one I want to read all the way through, like this whole run, because it's delightful and I really like Dan Slot. He's a great Twitter follow. If you didn't follow him, he was. I'm glad that I followed him um, the night of the last election because he had some like good insight there. And people people will crap all over him and yell at him and stuff like the people who don't agree with him. And he's like, he'll they're like you you stick to writing spider-man blah, blah, blah. and he he hears them out and he responds and he says look i just have to tell you it's spider-man with a hyphen there's a hyphen in there and just like <laughs> every time he responds to these stupid remarks with just correcting how they write spider-man because nobody gets it right go out and follow dan slot because he's true <laughs> yeah uh any any last minute thoughts anything that we haven't covered i mean i feel like there should be but I can't. I can't think of what to say. We we. It's because great stuff we just put up top, and other stuff uh, you know merits more discussion because we have more gripes. I think so. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and bring up the list here. Let's see. 
Uh, currently, the number 15 comic on our list is Marvels by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. Uh, whereas, you know, representing maybe something slightly lower on the list, uh, at number 92, we have Spidey Man versus Natman and Rotten from the Not Brand F comic. You guys remember when we talked about that? I don't know how to tell you you've made me the happiest girl on earth right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you just you just said it, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm trying to see. We the only other time we've read Dan Slot, based on a quick look here, is uh, the GL Xmas special, Great Lakes Avengers. No, we also read Spider Island. Oh crap! Yeah, that's right. Also, you there remember that we rank Aranya first, right? Yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> and, and you know that uh, sorry, you know that we also read Forever, which was Dan Slot. We've actually read a fair bit of Slot. You'd say he uh, he has a pretty look, good look, guys. A lot of slots in our I don't skim list. well. I don't skim well. Oh, jeez. <laughs> which Dan Slot does Aranya go in? <laughs> Gosh, don't like that. Don't like that at all. Stephen, I'm gonna let you in on a secret. That's exactly why I said it. <laughs> Okay, so um, my the first thought that I have for a comparable is the appearance of Riri Williams, right? Like, we're dealing with an origin story of a new character. Um, I feel like the Riri Williams introduction is better, but not much. So that's 64 on our list. This is going to go somewhere beneath 64 in my mind, but I'm not sure how low I want to put it. I think I would put it... I'm trying to remember what happened in our number 70 choice here. Twas the fight before Christmas. And it's a Spider-Man book, and I can't remember it. And it's Darwin Cook, and I like Darwin Cook. I cannot remember for the life. It's it's the one where, like, a couple... It's, like, Jessica Drew and Miss Fantastic go shopping, and then, like, J. Jonah Jameson in the office ends up with a bunch of kids. Yep, that's the one. That is how it goes. Okay. Okay. Hmm. I think Spider-Man's barely in that one, too, isn't he? Isn't that kind of the yeah. joke? Yeah, uh, Spider-Man's Tangled Web was a comic that was more about Spider-Man's supporting cast than the man himself. You mean Juan Peter Parker? Then Juan Peter see. Parker, yes. It's like how they used to do at Trader Joe's and they just stopped doing this. Like, you know, if a food was from a particular, like... If it was an ethnic food, they would pluck a name from that area. So, like, Trader Jose, you know, for any, like, Mexican food or whatever. Um, and they've stopped doing that because some of the, someone finally said, Hey, that seems kind of racist. So, they stopped. But Pretty sus. Juan, Juan Peter Parker, I think, is in that same vein somehow. I don't know. It's oh, gosh. Anyway, Aranya. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like... I have a hard time remembering what was in Twas the Fight Before Christmas as well, but I like Darwin Cook's artwork probably enough to say that this probably goes underneath Twas the Fight Before Christmas. Yeah. I I as much as uh as much as I love almost everything Spider-Man, I would have to rank it even lower. And I Yeah, I, I can don't... see where your cursor is on the list although, and I'm coming to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even said anything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say I was gonna put it maybe above five Ronin, like right below Jubilee's Revenge. 
I feel like a yeah, month. I feel like two months from now. I feel like next year I would still remember Jubilee's Revenge, and I wouldn't remember much about uh, Aranya other than she gets pantsed and it has a very anime art style. Yeah, that's fair. Yep, and uh, yeah, Psylocke isn't a prostitute, so it definitely goes above five Ronin. No, I think I agree. <laughs> she's not. She's a courtesan. She's a very. I don't know. I was, I was going to stop. I don't, I don't, it's not the hill I need to die on. Yeah. I'm not sure that we want to have that conversation. Like if you can explain the difference to me, good for you. Not, not super interested in hashing that out here. Anyway. Yeah. I was gonna say, if you can explain the difference, it probably means you have a lot more expo- uh, disposable income. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was just going to make a joke about something, but I'm not gonna, this isn't the podcast for it. And I'm a different man. Five years ago, I would have made that joke. <laughs> Not today. Anyways. Not on Christmas. It's not Christmas. Okay. Not on so- Christmas. <laughs> what, 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 do we, wait, what do we want to call the Silver Surfer story? Um, it, it, New on. Dawn is, I think, what it's called in the trade. Yeah. Oh, you guys want to know something dumb about... <laughs> I don't want to say it's dumb about this book. It's very on on brand for Dan Slott. Uh, Dawn and her, her sister is named Eve. So they're Eve yep. and Dawn and... I felt a little dumb to me, and then I realized I was reading, reading a book about a silver man surfing through the space highways. <laughs> Dawn is dressed like a ladybug. Eve is dressed like a bumblebee. Oh my gosh, it. I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's we didn't we didn't name our twins like cutesy pairings like that, you know. So yeah, that's probably for the best. But you know what happened? There was another. There was another um, lady who had twins in the room next to ours. But she like passed out from everything, and her brother was there. I don't know. Her husband was like stuck and couldn't get to the actual delivery, so they had to ask the brother for the the names. And so she woke up, and they told her that he named that he named him. And she's like, "Oh boy, what did she name him? Or what did he name him?" And they were like, "Well, you had a boy and a girl, and he named." Uh, your daughter Denise, and she's like, "Well, that's not so bad. That's that's a pretty good name." And what did she, what did he name my son? Well, the nephew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where where do we rank New Dawn? I, we, I've got to get off this phone call. I've got to get away from you, Yahoos. It needs it needs to go. It, it needs to be ranked higher than John's joke. Um. <laughs> oh, that's well, not that's hard not hard. <laughs> <laughs> I my only problem is. It's it, we have a very complete character arc in Don, um, but it doesn't feel like a totally. It's obviously not a complete story because it ends with them about to go out on the highway, outer space. So I I, I don't want to put it up super high, but I'm not opposed to putting it like above Runaways, Volume One. Yeah, yeah. Like this is not. I don't think this is a top ten book. Might be a top twenty book. Oh, it's a top twenty. The only reason why it's not a top ten book is because it's like, you know, the first arc of a new pairing on a new character, and it, it's like the the top ten stuff. I think. Well, no normals are number one, and that's like a brand spanking yeah. new. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this All is right. this is like a very very <laughs> this is like a very good pilot episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's not the best pilot episode because I mean, I'm looking at our list. The 
three of the top five comics are origin stories. Yeah, they're pilot episodes. <laughs> yeah, they're pilot episodes. Um, I, I think. Oh, I should say pilot own. episodes, not origin story, because that's actually more apt to describe my life as a weapon. Right. I think um, twenty. I think it's better than Last Days of Magic from Doctor Strange, which is still good, but it's it's hard to put it above Dark Phoenix or The Man Without Fear. That's the Frank Miller Daredevil, which is so dang. Oh, I I have no problem putting this above Messiah Complex. <laughs> you know that's hurtful. <laughs> I just it's just a more like it's a clearer story that puts it right by the other. Um, the other Silver Surfer story we have, yeah. or one of the other. Yeah, I kind of want to put this above Spider-Man Life Story. Honestly, I, that oh. might be too. That might be too high. I really liked this. Well, see, I think I liked it more than uh, Marvels and more than the Coming of Galactus. You know, I don't know if that's blasphemy or whatever, but I also think that I don't know. Like Messiah Complex, I really love. You know, and Man Without Fear, I really love. Yeah. But. I, I, I have a problem because like life story I think is is a really it's a mostly well done self-contained spider-man story and it's I think it's a it's a little ambitious and I I don't know that just the first five issues of Silver Surfer are better than Life Story. Because Life Story, they had to like, in, they had to bring in a lot of existing lore as well as like, uh, you know, history and stuff. And this one, they're like, I'm gonna go to a brand new place that the Silver Surfer's never heard of and just have fun with it. And that's great, but I think that the it's not as difficult as what Spider-Man Life Story did. I I would be okay putting it above Marvels. I would be too. And maybe that's where it goes. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like Dark Phoenix and the coming of Galactus in particular, those are on the list because of their historical import. Like, that's where they're at. That doesn't necessarily mean they're bad stories, uh, especially the coming of Galactus, I think is pretty darn good. And I, I like the Dark Phoenix. I understand that it's clunky by today's standards. But, I don't know. This is fun right out the gate. It's got really killer artwork. It's solidly accessible. This is a book that you could give just about anybody. Especially uh, the Doctor Who fans. As their first comic. Especially Doctor oh, Who fans. They, they would, like, eat this stuff up. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think that's the spot for it. So that's our new number 15 between Spider-Man Life Story and Marvels. Sweet. Well, that's where I put it. Okay. So for our next episode... Uh, we're going to, I'm actually really excited about this. Okay, so we are going to read uh, Captain America, Volume 5, numbers 8 through 14. Uh, issue number 10 is is like a House of M tie-in. We're going to skip that. But issues number 8 through 14, that's the Winter Soldier story arc. So the, the, the story arc on which the MCU film was loosely based... I haven't actually read Winter Soldier in years at this point. I'm actually really excited to revisit it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read it after the movie came out because I had never read it before. I knew about it, but I'd never read it. And in the app, if I remember correctly, you have the option of adding background music and like some light foley. So if you get to a panel where there are bullets being shot, you hear bullets. Um, gunshots so it's uh, an extra little bit of drama as you read that I think works in this situation but I don't think it's something that you should do with every single comic but uh, works here so yeah this isn't the the Winter Soldier story where we find out him and Natasha have a little bit of history that's a little spicy 
right? No, that's actually when the Winter Soldier becomes Captain America that we find that out. Oh, I thought that was during the Winter Soldier comic book, actually called the Winter Soldier. Um, it comes up. It comes up in the the comic where the Captain America comic. It might come up. In, no, it does come up in the Winter Soldier comic too. I just know that stuff comes up, and then I have a lot of questions about how the timeline works. <laughs> she, in the comics at least, um, Black Widow is... You say Black Widow and Winter yes. Soldier, or who did you say? Yes, Black Widow and Winter Soldier. She, and I want to say maybe even Nick Fury, like, you know, had some kind of serum to, like, they, they don't age as quickly. But that's kind of, I think, hand-wavy of saying, like, oh, we want to we wanna have, like, a longer, you know secret history with these guys so uh they've always been young ish (laughs) so whatever it's okay yeah i don't mind um so the other story that we're reading because we are reading two of them uh we're going to read six issues from the 2014 daredevil series uh daredevils number 13 through 18 and this is from the wade somni run which is what we were kind of talking about earlier i really like chris somney's art and i'm excited because apparently you guys don't know it yeah i i got a feeling um never mind <laughs> but tonight's gonna you be were, a good oh, night we're trying to uh, i was gonna say I, I got a feeling that i'm not gonna get a whole lot of sleep so you call me a name a chris insomniac oh, okay. <sighs> hey steven i'm gonna stop recording now <laughs> yeah it's time aldo aldo ruined the podcast This has been Superhuman Registration Podcast. Aldo's a dork. We'll see you next time.